So, Happy New Year is our uh, logo for this, this year. Do you know, at the beginning of this year, do you know, I want to invite you uh, on a journey with us. We're going to go on a journey as a church this year. And I want to begin today with an encounter that I actually had with God over the festive period. So, on the 27th of December, my brother, uh, who lives in Derby for the last 30 years, you know, came up to Glasgow, and he said, I'd love to go and see the, the Transport Museum. Now, it's been there for a while, but he hasn't seen it, you know, in 30 years. And we also went to the art galleries. Now, within those two buildings are some incredible exhibits of bygone ages. And as we walked around the exhibits, I felt the Lord, you know, was speaking to me. In fact, what I saw and what he said not only excited me, but it also challenged me. You see, this city of Glasgow was once a center of invention, innovation, and creativity. Such was its fame, it was actually known as the second city of the British Empire. Merchants, inventors, industrialists, artists, architects, engineers, social and political reformers, medical and educational firsts were all byproducts of this city. It was also a producer of goods for the world, famous for its Atlantic trade. You know, trains for India and America were all built in Springburn, so they were. You know, shipyards producing ships for the world was on the Clyde side. The textile and the weaving industry, the River Clyde was basically a busy metropolis of commerce and actual trade. Radical architectural designs and innovations, movements of artists such as the Glasgow Boys, world-famous musicians, you know, theater and artists, you know, were known to come from this city. And as I walked through each of these exhibitions, I was asking myself, Lord, where's it all gone? Where's it all gone? I know there's a remnant left, but nothing compared to what was. And it was there that the Holy Spirit was whispering to me, Jamie, remnants are the seedbed for new growth and restoration. And any time that you see decline, it's actually prudent first to look at what was the source of its growth, and then look at the source of the decline. It's not helpful to look at decline firstly and foremostly, where you ignore what the roots of the growth were in the first place, because remnant roots, if watered and nourished, begin to flourish again. I'm a poet and I didn't know it, okay. And it's one thing that I actually fear for the vineyard movement, that they're straying away from the roots, but that's the subject of another talk. And as we walked through these exhibits, we came across the city's coat of arms. Each symbol there represents the story of a miracle. The bird that never flew, the tree that never grew, the fish that never swam, and the bell that never rang. Each one of those are a miracle, Do you know, and it's on our coat of arms. Let Glasgow flourish was the city's motto uh, of Glasgow since 1866, when Lord Lang, King of Arms, included it in Glasgow's coat of arms. Those words, actually, let Glasgow flourish, come from a sermon. They come from a sermon preached by a godly man called Kentigran, who now is known as Mungo, uh, Saint Mungo, who is regarded as the patron saint of our city. And in his sermon, Mungo declared that his prayer for Glasgow would be, let Glasgow flourish by the preaching of thy word and the praising of thy name. Mungo's prayer was actually answered by God. Through the praising of his name and the preaching of his gospel, God richly blessed the hard work of the citizens of Glasgow, a city that was founded on signs, wonders, and miracles. 
ensured that Glasgow actually grew from a small fishing village on the River Clyde into a thriving industrialized city that actually touched the world. But sadly, as the praising and the preaching diminished, so did the industry, so did the blessings. How true is the Scripture that declares in Psalm 127, verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build in vain. See, cities are strategic. The Apostle Paul knew this. As the city goes, so does the nation. Cities shape laws. Cities shape fashion. Cities shape culture and well-being. Our prayer is that God would once more visit us with His Holy Spirit, you know, and we'd see a Holy Spirit revival that we once again could actually see and witness in and of our own age. So, I'm changing the model, okay? I'm adding a little bit to it. And we're going to say it like this, let Glasgow flourish through the preaching of His Word, because we always need His Word, the praising of His name, and the demonstration of His kingdom now, where we see those signs and wonders and miracles that founded that are in the DNA of this city once again be displayed through God's kingdom people. See, since we planted this church in the West End, there's been a number of church closures as a result of dwindling congregations, and we should be really sad about that, guys. But there's a God part to this, because this is what I believe the Lord said to me, you know, that day, that in 2024, it's a year that He will begin to restore. 2024 will be a year that he begins to restore. Now, there's a second part to that, because I believe that a lot of the prophets around the world are saying this, that this is a year of open doors. This is what the year, in fact, I was given that word today by yourself this morning, that this is a year, do you know, of open doors. But the thing about open doors is there's some doors that we need to close behind us. And that's just important. There'll be some things that God will say, no, you've got to leave that in the past as I open this door to your future. So my prayer is, may it begin in the house of the Lord. May it begin in the house of the Lord. See, when God restores, when He recreates a life that's maybe been destroyed by, say, addiction, when God restores a marriage, when God recreates and restores His church, this is a miracle. This is a miracle of God's grace in and of itself. You see, we serve the God of miracles, don't we? Amen. We serve Him. It's actually birthed Glasgow, so it did. But there, here's the question. Where do you begin when you need to rebuild? Where do we actually begin and restore? So to answer that, we're going to look and take a journey through the book of Nehemiah. So if you've got a Bible with you, you could turn to Nehemiah uh, chapter 1. But let me begin by giving you a brief setting for the book of Nehemiah. Uh, to set the scene, I'm going to throw up, I hope you can see this, the timeline. If not, I will read it out to you. About 2,600 years ago, Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians in 586 BC. The Babylonians came in, they burned the temple, you know, basically, uh, they knocked everything down and they burned and set fire to the city. Babylon itself was then conquered by the Persians in 539 BC. Do you know what? And then the very next year, do you know, a whole wave of exiles of, of the Jewish people came back to Jerusalem from Babylon. They began in a kind of start-stop fashion to rebuild the temple, but the walls were still down. And they finally, they built what we call the second temple in 516 BC. There was then a second wave of exiles returning to Jerusalem under a man called Ezra, and that happened in 458 BC. 
And in 445, do you know, about 2,500 years, you know, ago, this is where the book of Nehemiah actually opens up, where Nehemiah hears that the walls around the city of Jerusalem have been unrestored. And what that meant in the ancient world was that Jerusalem was vulnerable. If you don't have a house, you're vulnerable. If the church doesn't have its house, it's vulnerable which meant the people of Jerusalem were living in fear that their enemies could attack them at any single time. They were being raided constantly. They were being harassed. Their crops were getting stolen, etc., etc. But, and by the way, Nehemiah, do you know what his name means? His name means the Lord comforts. Isn't that amazing when these people are being harassed and, you know, stolen and raided, that, he, that God sends a man whose name means the Lord comforts. Our faithful God always raises up leaders whose name means the Lord comforts, to bring healing and comfort to God's people. And that's where we'll pick it up in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are, and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Let me do a quick parenthesis here. This guy Hananiah mentioned in verse 2 was the Jewish governor uh, of the Jewish people, not only in Jerusalem, but also in Egypt, so he was. And do you know what? We found ancient scrolls from that time of Nehemiah that quote this guy and several other people from the book of Nehemiah. And one reason why I believe in the reliability of Scripture is that our Bible isn't just a kind of storybook, you know, of religious truths that could be anywhere, anytime, long, long ago in a far, far away place. But there's literally, literally hundreds of archaeological finds artifacts, inscriptions, and documents that mention the people that we read about in the Bible. And Hananiah just happens to be one of these folks mentioned in the scrolls that were found roughly about a hundred years ago when they were digging a well, do you know, in Egypt. In other words, what we are actually reading here in Nehemiah is actual the history of God's intervention in this world through people. And in verse 3, Nehemiah gets some terrible news. It says this, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now, what was Nehemiah's reaction to hearing the terrible news of the plight of his fellow Jews? Well, verse 4 says this. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You know, every time I hear a church closing, I get tearful. Don't care if they're Methodist, Baptist, you know, whatever. I, I just feel sad. I'm like, there's my brothers and sisters. Where, what happened to them as well? Just like Nehemiah here. Now, in many ways, Nehemiah's reaction is actually quite unexpected. You see, whilst his fellow Jews were suffering in Jerusalem, he's, he's many, many miles away. Nehemiah was actually personally doing really, really good, really, really well. His life was actually you know, fine, so it was. And if you read the little phrase at the end of the chapter in verse 11, you know, it's almost an afterthought. Nehemiah says, I was a cupbearer to the king. He says it almost like a throwaway comment. And we might think, oh, well, what does that mean? 
Well, this wasn't just a servant who carried a cup around till the king was thirsty. He was a trusted royal government official, almost like saying, incidentally, I was Oliver Dowden, you know, the UK Secretary of State. You know, so that would have been his position if you'd done an equivalent in the British government. I mean, here's a guy who had real clout. This is a guy, a man who's got real influence. And yet Nehemiah, he was so affected by this news that his personal success didn't blind him, did not dull him to the pain of his brothers and his sisters. And guys, I believe that is one of the great signs that God is working in your life. Is God working in my life? Well, this is one of the great signs that when God lays a hold of you, one of the great signs is that even though if you're doing well, you're like, do you know what? That's not good enough for me. It's not good enough for me that I'm financially doing okay, my family's doing well, or your health's okay. When people have been grabbed by the grace of God, when God grabbed your heart, you reach back, you always reach back to help others. And Nehemiah, well, he is simply following in the line of many folks that we read about in the Scriptures who were laid hold of by God's grace and used their influence to better others. We see this in Moses, don't we? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In other words, Moses could have said, you know, I'm the adopted grandson of Pharaoh. I'm doing really, really well here. But what we read in verse 25 is he chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Of course, the other great example of someone who's doing really, really well and chose to reach back to help others is our Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? And here's what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, turn to your neighbor and say, for your sake, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, and say this last bit to your neighbor, you might become rich. You might become rich. Hey man, is that not a promise to hold on to going into 2024? isn't it? I could show you example after example of folks like this in Scripture and throughout history. You know, throughout the history of the church, the church fathers. But let me bring this a little bit closer to home. Folks from this church, you guys have done this. You've went out into countries and people groups that have had next to nothing to survive with. Do you know, you went out, you gave of your time, you gave of your talents, you gave of your money, and you gave of your energy to help others flourish. I can remember when we went to Kayamandi in one of the townships in South Africa, and we set up this education program called Vision K. I can remember when we were in Paro in South Africa, and we helped to establish an orphanage for children who lost their parents, you know, to the AIDS virus. I can remember when we were in Flockenburg, you know, in Africa, and we set up the food program and the sex you know, education program, we helped refurbish their, their, their building. I can remember when Mary Scott led a team year after year into Malawi, and she set up a cottage industry so that people could actually produce stuff, you know, and not have to go cap in hands where they could feed people. I can remember some of you going to Romania, working with, with orphans and kids, you know, in their missional program. I can remember when you were in Kosovo, you know, working with the missionaries and doing the science programs. I can remember when you were in Nepal, 
you know, not so long ago, relieving suffering by doing dentistry and helping there. And then there's the other things that we do here in Glasgow, the food bank, our up and coming involvement with the No Knives campaign that we're going to do a big concert and try and get knives off the street, you know, going into the schools and getting the kids, you know, to do that. Uh, also, you know, going to, is Kate here today? Kate Mitchell? Is she in the kids? Oh, okay. If you just shout Kate if you want any more information about that down at the kids. That's happening really soon. The way you help individuals. These are just some of the things, guys, that we've been able to bless people through your generosity. Now, here's the difference. Here's the difference between the way the world thinks and the person who's been seized by Jesus thinks. The world says, I'm doing fine. I'm financially good. My family is good. Do you know my finances are good? Do you know, that's enough for me. But the person has been grabbed hold of by your heart for Jesus, do you know, and then we realize the influence that he's given us. You say, you know what? That's not enough for me. I'm going to reach back because we know that God is the one who has given us our influence. We know that God is the one that's given us our finances. He's given us our money and everything else. God is the one who's given us all that we have, not just for us alone, but God wants us to be blessed so that we would bless others. I am so convinced of this, so convicted of this. It's why I make the ending of every service, you know, personal to you, that I'll always say, may the Lord God bless you so that you too may be a blessing. And I really mean it. I want you to be blessed your socks off. I believe God wants to raise up, even within this congregation, millionaire and millionaires. Not just so that you can enjoy that, and I think He would want you to join that, but so you can bless others. So you can redistribute his wealth to other people in need. All we need to do is lean into that restoration process. So here's my question. Friends, what are you doing beyond yourself with what God has given you? It's a question we all need to answer. God has blessed every single one of us with something. Are we reaching back to help others? Beyond tithing to the church. And by the way, you should be tithing to the church. But beyond that, See, this year, I believe we're going to have an opportunity to come of age as a church. That's what I feel the Lord's saying. The God will call us to plant a flag, take some ground, and it's going to be the beginning of something new. But it will require for all of us to be all in, to rebuild and to restore what He wants to do through us. It will require us to do something not just for our sakes, but for the sakes of others in the West End, in the city, and beyond. Just as Nehemiah didn't say, you know what, I'm all right where I am. I don't want to be inconvenienced. No. He saw the needs, and he knew that if he did what he could do, Jerusalem would begin to be restored. Guys, we're coming into an all-hands-on-deck moment. In the past, we could go, I'm going to just show up, I'm going to worship, and I'm going to listen. Newsflash, that's not the season we're in. That's not the season we're in. We need you. We need you to take your gifting, your talents, your time, your energy, your money, and to start to apply them. Some of you need to step up to the plate, you know, to help to rebuild not just our, our lovely church, but actually help rebuild the city. Now, it's not going to only be our church, so please hear this. This isn't a vineyard rah rah, rah thing. Every church needs to engage with us. But before we get into the big things, which I will talk about in the weeks actually coming, to begin with, I'm asking, if you're not serving anywhere in this church, can you give us an hour on a Sunday? 
You see, I think if we can do the little things, God will trust us with the big things. So we need in this church meters and greeters to welcome those who God is bringing towards us. I just need a couple of smiley faces in the front door. Welcome, so great to see you. Do you know, I hope that you encounter the Lord today. We need some people or someone with a toolbar, you know, who'll go on a roda to help pick up the trailer where we store it in the West End to bring it to church every Sunday morning for 9.30. Duncan's carrying the, the bulk of that load just now. Myself and Andy are, are his backup, but, you know, we preach, we teach, we do set up. There's only so much that we can actually do. We need more set up, set down volunteers. We need your help, guys. That's what I'm saying. Come see me for the trailer, see Peter for the meters and greeters, and Barnaby for the set-up, set-down team. Do you know, it's important to note that where Nehemiah starts the rebuilding process, when he hears the news of Jerusalem, it's plight. And what we read here in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, is when I heard those things, I sat down and I wept, and for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah begins... The building project with what? Prayer. With prayer. And I love the fact that we don't read in Nehemiah, you know, when I heard the news, you know, the walls being broken down in Jerusalem, the first thing I did was I got a team of engineers, architects, and builders together. We researched the best practices of rebuilding the city walls, and then we executed the plan. But isn't that what we tend to do like that? See, someone you love is ill with a weird form of cancer. What's the first thing we do? We go online. We go online. We read everything we can about the disease. We contact any doctor friends that we know. We ask, is there any news research that will actually, you know, address this, this problem? And then we hook a friend up with that. And none of that's wrong. Please hear that. There is nothing wrong with doing that. But it's not the first thing a Christian does. It's not the first thing a Christian does. First thing a Christian does is the exact opposite. Do you know that's the first thing the world does? When someone has a financial trouble, say they've lost their job, and first thing we do is we sit down with them, we help them to make a financial plan, how to get out of any debt, you know, how to apply for jobs, we determine what they can cut back on, you know, what they can sell, maybe what they can give up, and we need to do that sometimes. You know, getting financial advice and putting together a plan is not a bad thing, but it's not the first thing a Christian does. First thing it's someone who knows Jesus does is what Nehemiah did in verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept, and for some days I mourned and fasted, and I prayed before the God of heaven. And there's no greater lesson, guys, than we can learn about rebuilding our lives, our church, our city, than start by turning towards God. So if something bad happens to one of your children, God forbid, first thing to do, bring it to God. If something happens in your marriage, first thing to do, bring it to God. If something really bad happens to you in your job or at your uni and your studies, bring it to God. We have, do you know, a problem in the church, say, well, then we need to bring it to God. If we have problems in our city, then we need to bring it to God. We start with the God of heaven. I love the fact that Nehemiah addresses the God of heaven because our God, our God isn't an impersonal God. He is not just the God of my life. He's not just the God of my religion. He isn't just the God of Glasgow Vineyard and every single other church in this city or in the world. He isn't just the God of the United Kingdom or the whole world. He is the God of heaven who rules over absolutely every single thing that ever came into being. So let's not reduce our solutions to what only we can achieve in and of ourselves 
but let's bring it to our God, who said to Abraham, if you remember, I am the Lord. Is there anything too hard for me? And the answer is, nothing's too hard for our God. Absolutely nothing. See, when I face something so big, so bad, that I don't know what to do, I just bring it to Him. It's my first port of call. And Nehemiah lived by this motto, pray when trouble troubles you. Pray when trouble troubles you. Guys, if you're troubled, don't just obsess about it, tossing and turning throughout the night, worrying about it. Pray when trouble troubles you. Do you know, in virtually every chapter, from, from chapter 1 to chapter 13, you see Nehemiah praying to the God of heaven because he understands, do you know, you start with God. And do you know what? If you go, well, Jamie, I've had pray- prayers unanswered. Well, Google Pete Gregg, you know, and Pete Gregg does a whole series on unanswered prayer sessions. That, that's a help to you. And if you were to ask me, Jamie, I don't know how to pray. Where do I begin? How do I get in touch with the God of heaven? How, where does he live? Where's the address here? Well, let me make it really simple, do you know, as I, I close today. Do you know, let's use an acronym, acronym of ACTS in your prayer. So, ACTS, what does ACTS stand for? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. You can see this drawn out of the text here in Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah starts with adoration to God. He says this, Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who weeps His covenant of love with those who love Him and keep His commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Nehemiah has given us a little tutorial here on prayer. And he says, the place that you start with is you pray to God. Most of us start with a laundry list, don't we? I've been guilty of that. Am I the only one? We start with a laundry list of our needs. I need this, Lord. I need that, Lord. Do you know, I don't know about you, but as I recite my laundry list needs to God, and after I pray and get up, a lot of times I don't feel better. I'm just being honest with you. I don't feel, it makes me, it feels like I've actually driven those things into my soul and I end up more worried and more obsessing actually about them. Where I, I, I don't feel like I've fully given them over to God. So, I mean, didn't Jesus himself tell the disciples when they asked them how to pray, he says, don't start with your needs. Didn't he say, start with God? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We start by lifting our eyes off the problem and lifting them heavenly words towards God. When we do that, we remember who the God is that we're actually praying to. And we discover our God is faithful. Our God is good. And we begin by worshiping the Lord. In other words, we begin by adoration. Do you know how to find God? Well, I give you directions to find them. Because adoration and praise is actually God's address. Adoration and praise is God's address. The scripture says in Psalm 100, do you know, verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise and thankful. Be thankful to him and bless his name. That's his address. You say, well, Jamie, how do I worship God? Well, one way is come to church every single time you can. If you're watching online, you know, with this being recorded, get back to church because, do you know, God's people enables God's people to worship God in a totally different dynamic way. You say, well, what about individual personal worship? How do you do that? 
we were discussing this with our interns last week, and some folks like Amy, she can do it beautifully in the piano. You know, if I tried to do it, it wouldn't be beautiful in the piano. They'd ask me to stop really quickly, to be quite honest. I just do it in other ways. I sing to him, even though that's not a great play. He likes it, so I don't care. <laughs> he seems to like it, so I sing to him. I create, I go into my workshop and I fashion things, you know, I go in my forge and batter metal and make beautiful things, you know, with it. Do you know, I serve. I look for ways that I can represent them to actual people. I tell them how much I love them and I do it daily and I do it frequently. See, worship, guys, is a lifestyle, not just the song we sing, although I think singing to him is a great way to engage in adoration. Let's look at C. C stands for confession. Yeah. In verse 6, we see Nehemiah say, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Guys, some people, when they confess, they, they make a blanket, you know, confession like, God, just please forgive everything, everything. Do you know, it's like we throw it into a big general kind of pile. Do you know, Lord, would you bless this big mess? You know, I declare the blood of Jesus over it all without naming it. That's not the way we confess, guys. It's not the way to confess. Confess specifically, not just generally. Be specific. It sounds like, <laughs> I need to confess this now. When I was teaching Linda to drive, don't advise it for married couples, Okay. <laughs> When I lost my, pre my I, I lost my patience and yelled at Linda, you know, and I shouldn't have yelled at her, do you know, and so I go, God, I shouldn't have yelled at Linda. I need to ask her forgiveness, and I need to ask your forgiveness. Help me to be patient, Lord. Help me to be more self-controlled. Change me, oh Lord. You die in a comment or something here, Linda. <laughs> She's like, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what he said. <laughs> Let's move on from confession. <laughs> you say, well, maybe I don't know how to confess or what to confess. Let me give you one simple tool uh, so that you don't have to create things, okay? There's a book called the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, and the Church of Scotland does something similar called the Book of Common Order. Uh, and in it, there's all sorts of written prayers, prayers on confession. In fact, if you go to this uh, website, you know, you will actually see, if you click on the litany, you know, side, it'll lead you through a confessional prayer. So, so far we've got adoration, we've got confession, and the T stands for thanksgiving. Now, thanksgiving is simple. It's about cultivating a good memory. So, in other words, you remember what God has done for you. You remember God's goodness in your life. You remember the promises that God has given you. This is what Nehemiah does in verse 10. There are you, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Thanksgiving simply says, all the good things in my life are there by God's grace. See, there's nothing in your life that has to be. If you're sitting here today and you're not in pain, it's by the grace of God. So say, thank you, God, that I'm not in pain. See, other people in the world won't be able to eat today. It doesn't have to be that you eat today. You're able to eat today because of the grace of God. It doesn't have to be. So, again, thanksgiving, it's, it's not a hard thing. So, one of the most helpful ways to do this is to write it out. Keep a journal of all the things that you've got thankful to be, you know, God about. And do it weekly. And you'll be surprised at just how much you have to be thankful for. The Bible says, offer up 
a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Your sacrifice might be that it just takes you time to actually write it out. Then all you have to do is when you go to prayer is present that to God. God, here's the things I want to be thankful for. Do you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and finally, supplication. In other words, now it's time to make your requests. There's nothing too big that God can't handle, guys. Nothing too big. And there's nothing too insignificant that he doesn't notice. So as I come into land, Nehemiah prayed in verse 11, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Brothers and sisters, it's time to rebuild not only the church, but our city. That once again, Glasgow will flourish and we need to start in prayer. Practically, we have a prayer meeting uh, every Sunday before this service. We call it the war room, okay? Starts at 10.15 and we finish at 10.45. Feel free to come in for one minute, the full, you know, half hour, five minutes, whatever. Come and join us as we intercede and pray, not only for this service, but things in this city. Do you know, online we have a Wednesday morning prayer meeting for those that you love to get up early. You know, 6.45 in the morning to 7.30. Uh, I'll be there, you know, on Wednesday morning. Uh, we love you. Friday mornings, you know, 7.30 to 8, we pray and intercede for the kids. Barnaby, you've got a prayer meeting, you know, with the students, etc. Uh, see Barnaby about that. Guys, pray that we would see people step up to the plate and give and serve on a Sunday. Pray that we would see the lost in our city saved. Pray that we would see the Lord bless us with facilities that we can call our own, that we can have as a center for revival and training and releasing people, you know, into the kingdom, into the city, into the harvest field, and that we would see exponential growth once again as the Lord nurtures and waters the remnants. Pray that heaven would invade earth and that we would once again see that manifest signs, wonders, and miracles that transformed and formed our city in the first place. Guys, all I can say just now is opportunities are beginning to present themselves before us this year. And that means we as a congregation will be invited in this journey of change. Pray for Linda and I. Pray for our staff. Pray for our leaders, our church, as we join God on this adventure. We're part of this restoring 2024, you know, invitation is lived out in our lives. So, let me finish. Where do you begin when you need to rebuild? My initial question. Well, you use your influence. You use your talents. You use your energy. You use your money. You use your time. And I'd say apply them to the kingdom, to God's purposes. And the biggie, start with prayer. Remember Acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then supplication. Amen? Why don't we stand?